are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head over to Facebook, and there you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 211, and we are reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 25, Paragraphs 274 to 283. Chapter 25 Our Redeemer, after his baptism, walks to the desert where, by the practice of heroic virtues, he gains great victories over our vices. His Most Holy Mother knows of all his doings and imitates him most perfectly. 274. By the testimony which the eternal truth had vouchsafed to give to the divinity of Christ our Savior, his person and his teachings were so fully accredited before men that he could have immediately begun his public life and his divine activity and miracles so that all should have recognized him as the natural son of the eternal Father, as the Messiah of the Jews and the Savior of men. Nevertheless, the divine teacher of all holiness did not wish to commence his preaching, nor to be known as our Redeemer without having first triumphed over our enemies, over the world, the demon, and the flesh, in order that afterwards he might so much the more easily overcome the hellish deceits continually spread about by Satan. By his heroic exercises of virtue, he wished to give us the first lesson of a Christian and the spiritual life and to teach us by these triumphs of Christian perfection, how we are to strengthen our weaknesses and discourage our common enemies by continued battle and victories, lest we otherwise be delivered over to them by the fluctuations of our own wills. Although the Lord, as being God, was infinitely above the demon, and as man without deceit of sin, supremely holy, and the master over all creation, 1 Peter 2.22, he nevertheless wished to overcome in his human nature by his personal justice and holiness all the vices and their author, and therefore he offered his most holy humanity to the buffetings of temptation, concealing his superiority from his invisible enemies. 275. By his retirement, Christ our Lord began to conquer and taught us to conquer the world, for it is an established fact that the world is accustomed to forsake those whom it does not need for its earthly purposes, that it does not seek those who themselves do not seek it. Therefore, he who really despises the world must show his contempt by ceasing to have any connection with it in its affections and aspirations. 
The Lord vanquished also the flesh, teaching us to overcome it by imposing upon his most innocent body such a severe and prolonged fast, though his body showed no rebellion toward the good, nor any inclinations to evil. The devil he vanquished by the preaching of the truth, as I shall explain more fully afterward. For all the temptations of the father of lies are wont to come cloaked and veiled in deceitful snares, that the Lord should not enter upon his public teaching and make himself known to the world before he had gained his triumphs over the body, is another warning and admonition against the weakness of our flesh. He wished to caution us against the honors of this world, even those that accrue to us from supernatural favors. As long as our passions are not conquered, and as long as we have not vanquished our common enemies... For if the applause of men finds us unmortified and still living under the influence of the enemies within our own selves, the favors and blessings of the Lord offer us little security, and the wind of vain glory may overturn even the towering mountains of virtues. It imports much to all men to remember that we carry the treasure of heaven in most fragile vases. 2 Corinthians 4, seven, and that if God wishes to glorify his name by our weakness, he will know by what means he shall draw his doings to light. Avoidance of the enemy alone is incumbent upon us and most suitable. 2.76. Without delay, Christ our Lord pursued his journey from the Jordan to the desert after his baptism. Only his holy angels attended and accompanied him, serving and worshiping him singing the divine praises on account of what he was now about to undertake for the salvation of mankind. He came to the place chosen by him for his fast, a desert spot among bare and besettling rocks, where there was also a cavern and much concealed. Here he halted, choosing it for his habitation during the days of his fast. Matthew 4.1 In deepest humility he prostrated himself upon the ground, which was always the prelude of his prayer and that of his most blessed mother. He praised the Eternal Father and gave him thanks for the works of his divine right hand and for having, according to his pleasure, afforded him this retirement. In a suitable manner, he thanked even the desert for accepting his presence and keeping him hidden from the world during the time he was to spend there. He continued his prayers, prostrate in the form of a cross, and this was the most frequent occupation in the desert. For in the manner he often prayed to the Eternal Father for the salvation of men. During these prayers, for reasons which I shall explain when I come to the prayer in the garden, he sometimes sweated blood. 277. Many of the wild beasts of the desert came to the neighborhood now inhabited by their Creator, For he sometimes walked about in these regions with an admirable instinct. They recognized him and gave forth their voices, moving about as if in testimony of his divinity. But the birds of heaven, which great multitudes gathered around the Savior, were especially eager in their demonstrations, manifesting their joy at the blessed presence of their divine King and Lord by their sweet sweet and loud singing and in diverse other ways. After the Savior had begun his fast, he persevered therein without eating anything for forty days, offering up his fast to the Eternal Father as a satisfaction for the disorder 
and sins to which men are drawn by so vile and debasing, yet so common and even so much esteemed vice of gluttony. Just as our Lord overcame this vice, so he also vanquished all the rest, and he made recompense to the eternal judge and supreme legislator for the injuries perpetrated through these vices by men. According to the Enlightenment vouchsafed to me, our Savior, in order to assume the office of preacher and teacher, and to become our mediator and redeemer, before the Father thus vanquished all the vices of mortals, and he satisfied the offenses committed to them, just as he did in regard to gluttony. Although he continued this exercise during all his life with the most ardent charity, yet during his fast he directed in a special manner all his efforts toward this purpose. 278. A loving father whose sons have committed great crimes, for which they are to endure the most horrible punishment, sacrifices all his possessions in order to ward off their impending fate. So our most loving father and brother, Jesus Christ, wished to pay our debts. In satisfaction for our pride, he offered his profound humility for our avarice, his voluntary poverty and total privation of all that was his for our base and lustful inclinations, his penance and austerity for our hastiness and vengeful anger, his meekness and charity toward his enemies for our negligence and laziness, his ceaseless labors for our deceitfulness and our envy, his candid and upright sincerity and truthfulness, and the sweetness of his loving intercourse. In this manner he continued to appease the just judge and solicited pardon for us, disobedient and bastard children. And he not only obtained this pardon for them, but he merited for them new graces and favors, so that they might make themselves worthy of his company and of the vision of his father and his own inheritance for all eternity. Though he could have obtained all this for us by the most insignificant of his works, he demonstrated his love so abundantly that our ingratitude and hardness of heart will have no excuse. 279. In order to keep informed of the doings of our Savior, the Most Blessed Mary needed no other assistance than her continual visions and revelations, but in addition to these she made use of the service of her holy angels, whom she sent to her divine Son. The Lord himself thus ordered it, in order that by means of these faithful messengers, both he and she might rejoice in the sentiments and thoughts of their inmost hearts, faithfully rehearsed by these celestial messengers, and thus they each heard the very same words as uttered by each, although both son and mother already knew them in another way. As soon as the great lady understood that our Redeemer was on the way to the desert to fulfill his intention, she locked the doors of her dwelling, without letting anyone know her presence, and her retirement during the time of our Lord's fast was so complete that her neighbors thought that she had left with her divine Son, she entered in her oratory and remained there for forty days and nights without ever leaving it and without eating anything, just as she knew was done by her most holy son. Both of them observed the same course of rigorous fasting in all his prayers and exercises, his prostrations and genuflections. She followed our Savior, not omitting any of them. Moreover, she performed them just at the same time, for leaving aside all other occupations. She thus profited by the information obtained from the angels and by that other knowledge which I have already described. Whether he was present or not, she knew the interior operations of the soul of Christ, all his bodily movements, which she had been wont to perceive with her own senses. She now knew by intellectual visions or through her holy angels. 280. While the Savior was in the desert, he made every day three hundred genuflections, which also was done by our Queen Mary in her oratory. 
The other portions of her time she spent in composing hymns with the angels, as I have said in the last chapter. Thus imitating Christ the Lord, the Holy Queen cooperated with him in his prayers and petitions, gaining the same victories over the vices on her part, proportionately satisfying for them by her virtues and her exertions. Thus it happened that while Christ as our Redeemer gained for us many blessings and abundantly paid all our debts, Most Holy Mary as his helper and our mother lent us her merciful intercession and became our mediatrix to the fullest extent possible to a mere creature. Instructions which the Queen and Lady gave me. 281. My daughter, corporal penances are so appropriate and fitted to mortal creatures that the ignorance of this truth and the neglect and contempt of bodily mortification cause the loss of many souls and bring many more into the danger of eternal loss. The first reason why men should afflict their body and mortify their flesh is that having been conceived in sin, by this original sin, human nature is depraved, filled with passions, rebellious to reason, inclined to evil, and adverse to the spirit, Romans 7.23. If the soul allows itself to be carried away by them, it will be precipitated by the first vice into many others. But if this beastly flesh is curbed by mortification and penance, it loses its strength and acknowledges the authority of the spirit and the light of truth. The second reason is that none of the mortals have altogether avoided sinning against God, and the punishment and retribution must inevitably correspond to the guilt, either in this life or the next. Therefore, as the soul commits sin in union with the body, it follows that both of them must be punished. The interior sorrow is not sufficient for atonement if the flesh seeks to evade the punishment corresponding to the guilt. Moreover, the debt is so great and the satisfaction that can be given by the creature so limited and scanty that there remains continual uncertainty whether this judge is satisfied even after the exertions of a whole lifetime. Hence, the soul should find no rest to the end of life. 282. Even though divine clemency is so liberal with men that if they try to satisfy further sins by penance, as far as their limited capacity goes, God remits their offenses. And in addition thereto, has promised the guilty ones new gifts and graces and eternal rewards. Yet as faithful and prudent servants who really love their Lord are constrained voluntarily to add other penances for the debtor, who merely wishes to do what he is obliged to and adds nothing of his own free will, he certainly pays his debts, but will remain poor and destitute if, after payment of his debts, nothing remains. What, then, are those to expect who neither pay nor make any efforts towards paying? The third reason for bodily mortification, the most urgent reason, is the duty of the Christians to imitate their divine teacher and master. Moreover, my divine Son and I, without being guilty of any faults or bad inclinations, devoted ourselves to labors and made our lives a continual practice of penance and mortification of the flesh. It was thus that the Lord saw fit to attain the glory of his body and of his holy name and he wished me to follow him in all things. If we then pursued such a course of life because it was reasonable, one must be thought of mortals that seek naught but sweetness and delight, and abhor all penances, affronts, ignominies, fasting, and mortification. Shall then only Christ our Lord and I suffer all these hardships, while the guilt-laden debtors and deservers of all these punishments throw themselves head over heels into the filth of their carnal inclinations? Shall they employ their faculties, given to them for the service of Christ my Lord, and for his following, merely in dancing attendance on their lusts and the devil, who has introduced evil into the world? 
This absurd position maintained by the children of Adam is the cause of great indignation in the just judge. 283. It is true, my daughter, that by the bodily afflictions and mortifications of my most blessed son, the defects and deficiencies of human merits have been atoned for, and that he wished me as a mere creature and as one taking the place of other creatures to cooperate with him most perfectly and exactly in all his penances and exercises. But this was not in order to exempt men from the practice of penance, but in order to encourage them to it. For in order merely to save them, it was not necessary to suffer so much. Our blessed Savior, as a true father and brother, wished also to enhance the labors and penances of those who were to follow in his footsteps. For the efforts of creatures are of little value in the eyes of God unless they are made precious by the merits of Christ. If this is true of works which are entirely virtuous and perfect, how much more is it true of those which are infected with so many faults and deficiencies, even in the greatest acts of virtue as ordinarily performed by the children of Adam? For in the works of even the most spiritual and virtuous persons, many deficiencies occur. These deficiencies are made good by the merits of Christ our Lord, so that the works of men may become acceptable to the Eternal Father. But those who neglect good works and remain altogether idle can by no means expect to apply to themselves the good works of Christ, for they have in themselves nothing that can be perfected by the works of Christ, but only such things as deserve condemnation. I do not speak now, my daughter, of the damnable error of some of the faithful who have introduced into the works of penance the sensuality and vanity of the world, so that they merit greater punishment for their penance than for their sins. Since they foster in their penances vain and imperfect purposes, and forget the supernatural ends of penance, which alone give value to penance and life to the soul. On some other occasion, if necessary, I will speak of this error. Do thou now deplore this blindness and labor with great zeal. For if thy labors were even as great as that of the apostles, martyrs, or confessors, they would be no greater than they should be. Chastise thy body with ever greater severity, and remember that thou art deficient in many things, while thou hast but a short life, and art so weak and incapable of repaying thy debt. This concludes our reading today for day number 211. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 25, Paragraphs 274 to 283. Today Jesus arrives in the desert where he undergoes temptation. And he does so for our sake. He prays, and so he gives us a pattern of prayer that in our life, when we face certain things, we need to pray. And really, after his baptism, and he goes in the, in the desert to be tempted, well, this is really that preparation that here he's inaugurated, and now he says, I need to pray. I need to fast. And he does this in anticipation of everything that is to come. And really, as we heard, his temptations in the desert were good for us. And they tell us why we should mortify ourselves. Really, because it is an imitation of Christ. It deprives certain aspects of our body. It makes up for the sins in which we then are able to atone for, especially sins of the body. So we think of gluttony, for example. Jesus was tempted, the devil came, tempted him, and so he overcomes that. There's the vice of pride, while Jesus exhibits humility. 
So Jesus's example gives meaning then to us. And we really heard it in the last paragraph of our reading today. Our blessed Savior, as true father and brother, wished also to enhance the labors and penances of those who were to follow in his footsteps. For the efforts of creatures are of little value in the eyes of God unless they are made precious by the merits of Christ. So because Christ fasted, because Christ mortified himself, well, then our fasting and mortification has greater meaning in the eyes of God. I think then you can take that to extend to everything. Jesus visiting the sick, Jesus consoling the dying. When we do those things, well, then we do it in imitation of him. And there's greater efficacy when we realize that what we do is done because Christ himself gave us the example We also heard about Our Lady, and I think sometimes, you know, that's uh, something good for us to ponder about. What did Our Lady do in these moments of Christ's life? Did she know that he went into the desert and was undergoing temptation? When did she find out? Well, she finds out because of visions, because of her angels, but did she know immediately? And how did she receive this news when she saw the vision? How did she take that? And then you wonder, did Mary then herself begin to fast in her own home and pray as Jesus prayed? But Mary has a knowledge and she joins herself to our prayers and she prays for us. During that time when Jesus was praying for us, Mary was praying for us. Thus it happened that while Christ, our Redeemer, gained for us many blessings and abundantly paid all our debts, most holy Mary, as his helper and our mother, lent us her merciful intercession and became our mediatrix to the fullest extent possible to a mere creature. And so when we struggle with different temptations, call out to Mary, as St. Bernard would say, and allow her to obtain you the grace necessary for your life. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.